Uh, episode 26 of the RM Podcast Talking TV and Film. Didn't talk Sunday because a lot of travel, uh, very tired, but we crossed 500 plays, uh, 25 episodes, which was big. We have listeners or a listener in Puerto Rico. Right. So add that to the list. Um, Thank you, listener but, in Puerto Rico. Yeah. So I figured we could just start with The Mandalorian. <clears throat> uh, Mandalorian's back, season two, premiered uh, on the 30th. Um, it was interesting because uh, a coworker of mine yesterday, he asked if I saw The Mandalorian. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you like that raid boss at the end? And I was like, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point because that's basically what it was. But uh, I don't know. What'd you think of? Oh, the, uh, the you mean you mean Boba or no? The raid boss, the crate dragon, the worm. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty. That's basically what it was. I but I thought I thought for what it was, it was really well done. But it's clear that um, you know, this show pulls on. Nostalgia is not the right word, but it pulls on the strings of the familiar in that, yeah. hey, let's take this character. Let's take uh, uh, Tim Oliphant, who was in Justified. And let's cast him as another marshal. Yeah, essentially right. The sheriff of some, of some town. Yeah, he, was a mar- <laughs> he was in marshal in Justified, and he, I'm pretty sure he was a marshal in uh, Deadwood. And, and let's like- take the trope of the villagers and the Indians to fight a big bad that annoys both of them. And fine. Nice. It it was fine, but there was an aspect of it that it is um, very safe. uh, Not really. Very simple. Yeah. Very simple. You know, the, the, you know, they're obviously with Boba Fett flashing at the end. Um, You know, these are stories that are being told, you know, there's going to be stories with each episode that are likely not going to be super connected to each other, but there is this long season arc that's going to take place. So, you know, technically, you know, it looks great. I mean, it looks fantastic. It like it, the whole ending, the whole thing, when they fight the great dragon, it all looks amazing. I mean, it really does. I mean, Arrakis never looks so good. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it looks it looks great. I just feel I when I watched the Mandalorian, and th- I talked about this on an, on an earlier episode when I just said, you know, a lot of the Mandalorian, like, there's nothing super complex about the Mandalorian. It is very simple setup, conflict resolution. Like, it is very cut and dry. It is very clean. And as long as you can do that cleanly you're really not going to have many complaints other than, well, it doesn't challenge the viewer. I mean, I, I'm not watching the Mandalorian to get challenged. I did say, I hope it builds and gets a little more, there's a little more intrigue. There's a little more complexity, but I don't need, you know, game of Thrones breaking bad level of, you know, I don't need to be thrown a whole bunch of plot. I'm, I'm kind of watching it to have fun and any kind of intrigue that comes along with it is just a plus. Um, but I, I wrote down, I'm like, yeah, Mandalorian seems like a pretty good baseline of what I'm willing. If I'm going to put eight hours into something like eh, something that's worse than the Mandalorian, it's like, eh, I'm probably like not going to give it much attention and stuff that's better than it's like, all right, let's, let's go. Let's see what this is. This is about. But, but your thoughts of this show are not 
your thoughts of this show are that it's good, fine, it's enjoyable. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I'm saying. But there are reviews out there that are like, oh my God, it's, it's revitalized Star Wars. And I'm like, has it? Well, I mean, these scripts are pretty, true. these scripts are pretty damn basic. Spare. I mean, they're pretty spare. But like extremely. I said, if you, can, if, if you can do it cleanly, you like so that people don't have anything to shit talk that's good enough because star wars has had enough shit talking because they could not do things simply or cleanly with the franchise that's all you really need to do with the franchise for now like i said i hope as this season goes along it builds and it gets more there's a little more uh gray intrigue and all that stuff but like I'm kind of I'm glad there wasn't a whole bunch of Baby Yoda, um, focus in the episode. <laughs> like he was there, but it's fine. Uh, yeah, you know. he, he was he was like the anti MacGuffin in this show. I mean, he exactly. was barely in this episode, there. Yeah, right. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, so the opening where he fights all the guys it's literally like the opening of the first season. Walks into a place, talks to a guy. Or and turns out a big fight and he, you know, beats everyone up. Like, I was like, all right. I mean, I'm definitely like when they did that again, I was kind of like, okay, like, let's get past this. Um, good fight scene. And he uses the little the birds or the wisp, the whispering willows or whatever the thing that he comes out of his uh, wrist. <laughs> so, like, okay. Um, yeah. And it turns out Timothy Oliphant's character is a character from the expanded universe or from like from a book Cobb Vanth. So oh, did not he, know that he was not created for the show. He was no, an actual, he was, he was in a book that was written by Chuck Wendig. That was like, this is what happened. Like basically immediately after Boba Fett was, you know, uh, was quote unquote killed. I guess he wasn't killed, was swallowed up in the Sarlacc pit. This guy came along and, took the armor and started defending this this uh village essentially so and that's him but it's basically going to build up to he'll probably come back in the last few episodes and he'll join gina carano and apollo creed and they'll have their own little squad or something and boba fett might be there with them and and which i think will be really cool like bring them all together but i'm sure something like that so so do you see bo is boba fett going to be an antagonist or do you think it's going to be he's just going to join up or some larger thing i think it's going to be this thing of like he's going to be disgraced because he lost his armor and that's the thing like you can't put you like you can't put it back on or something once you've lost it i think that's how it is with the mandalorian or maybe it's just the helmet i don't know and you know the mandalorian is going to try and like convince him to kind of come back or something and he's like, no, no, I can. And they go off without him. And then he comes back like guns blazing, super sane at the end or something. So, uh, so help I me. Think that's gonna... So help me real yeah. quick. Um, this takes place five uh, years after Jedi. <clears throat> I thought Boba Fett got eaten up by the Sarlacc. Well, it turns out he's alive. That's what. That's kind of what this is all about. He shook it off. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So. Interesting. Um, but I don't know if you had anything else to really add. I mean, it's a pretty simple episode. Yeah, um, I mean, I it, it was enjoyable, um, uh, but I'm not seeing this this whole sort of wow it revitalized the series. That said, you know, 
you are not going to see a, a, a show that looks this good on production, uh, sorry, on network television um, and just not have this sort of budget thrown at it. So for prestige television, how good it looks, no matter how simple the uh, um, script and the story was, um, you know, th- this is appointment television for everyone now. You know, I, I think we're somewhat spoiled because <clears throat> this is probably the most appointment television I think since Game of Thrones that people are really making an effort to see and Game um, of Thrones. I mean, are you, are you basically saying the appointment television has to be week by week or are you counting binge shows as well? I'm, I, 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 would, I, I think, would, I think week by week, I'm not counting binge shows because I know okay. stranger things is something. Yeah. I would but, have argued stranger things. Yeah. But, but from a, from a high gloss, high production value standpoint, there's this, but if you look at Game of Thrones compared to this, I mean, Game of Thrones, while it looks really good, my God, the, the writing and talking and the hidden messages you're trying to read into stuff and, hey, this person wiggled their eyebrow in this fashion. I wonder what that means to and, – and I think that's when we are looking for prestige television now. I think that's what – I think some of I, – I, I'll be frank – and especially after Breaking Bad, where so much of it is, all right, he looked at that person what way. I wonder what happens two seasons from now with that person. Um, some of that is, um, you know, I'm expecting that with sort of the appointment television. And that is not going on with The Mandalorian. It is, I'm not going to say it's by the numbers because that, that's sort of a pejorative statement, but it is very simple in its storytelling and that's fine it is not trying to be shockingly cerebral i mean it's disney plus you're trying to appeal to right. kids at the same I mean, time but so. it is so like it is real simple <laughs> I, I you know I, uh there was i was listening to what was i listening to i was listening to the watch which is a ringer podcast and they were talking about how yeah it's basically like star wars a team you know just gonna gonna go on this adventure and we're gonna do this and then there's gonna be a new one in a week and whatever um and that's maybe simplifying it a little too much but it's just very serialized like it is very things are very separate um which is like it's a nice throwback but i just you know you can't do that same thing for five seasons you know so that's just my thing i'm cool with it for the first episode i'm fine I just hope things kind of build on each other. And I think with, you know, whatever Rosario Dawson is doing in this season, whatever, you know, they're trying to find Jedi, I guess. I'm sure it'll get there one way or another. <laughs> so, um, what? No, I, I mean, yeah, we'll get there in episode six. I, 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 right. wonder, I wonder how much of this is, Look, uh, Star Wars, we put a lot of money into this. We need to bring the fans back and turn them on and give them stuff for them to bite down on because, you know, the Star Wars junkies, from what I understand, like, it's like, oh, yeah, this this worm. It was actually referenced somewhere else. And I, I think I saw somewhere that, um, you know, the sound that uh, – uh, Obi-Wan makes in the first Star Wars movie was the sound he did the sound of this sort of sand worm or whatever that no. I, I, I forget what it's oh, called to freak them off to scare them to off freak 
but to freak out the Raiders. Yeah, but but it's like, oh my God, okay, so people called on that. So so I think that okay, we gotta pull in the fans with these little sort of Easter eggs that only they will know to like it. So if we take a very simple story and sort of pull them back bit by bit, fine. And then maybe after you sort of get everyone in, and it turns into much more appointment television, then you get into something else deeper. The the problem is is that the Mandalorian is not built to be a supremely complex character. You don't see any facial reactions. You don't see anything. He is a flat being. He's Mad Max. He's what Mad Max was in Fury Road. Like, he is just the guy. Like, he's just the guy along for the ride. Right, but in Mad the Max, you is, could at least see his eyes jump out of his face. In this well, case, all you see is some dude. Mad Max, the other thing with Mad Max is you have Furiosa, who the movie was really about. In this, it is about the Mandalorian, so there's a different aspect of it it's like okay you want us to empathize with this guy you want us to kind of feel with this guy but really he is kind of like just the blank slate other guy and it's like okay i mean they're doing a hell of a lot better job than they did with shadow moon in uh uh american gods oh um, good god that dude well well oh and he was meant to be uh, flat but oh my god i'm saying the actor right wasn't is not a right, right. Actor, well, but, I mean, there's no. Pro- but, he didn't have any presence. <laughs> I mean, right. So, so that's so. There's the difference there. I mean, there is that man with no name aspect that you can try and work with the Mandalorian. But the thing is, like you said, he's got a helmet on. He's not Clint Eastwood. You know, uh, there there was a, another thing uh, they mentioned, like where it's like, man, you know, I wonder if Tim Oliphant's just getting kind of frustrated. It's like you know, you wake up and you just go, you know, I'm pretty funny. I'm pretty good looking. I think, you know, I'm in some pretty good stuff and I still get cast as a marshal. But then they said, or he's just like, hey, I'm pretty funny. I'm pretty good looking. I've been in some great stuff. And hey, I still get cast as a marshal. Life's great. And it's like, I'm, pretty, what, sure that, Tim, what, I'm pretty sure Tim Oliphant is more of the latter anyway. I, I, like, I, I think, think I'm sure I... I'm sure he's fine. I 100% think that's the case. Dude, you got a gig on one of the top five, maybe three streaming series in the world. When it's all said and done, he, he, isn't, he isn't Matt Damon or Brad Pitt. He's a working right. actor, and you want to get good gigs. Sees, who basically sees all the bullshit and kind of calls it out when he, he's like, yeah, whatever. Well, well but... but what was the what was sort of the zombie j- movie he did show he did on Netflix the San whatever thing? Oh, Santa Clarita Diet with so, Drew Barrymore. So, so while that is probably fun to make, which do you think is going to give you a longer tail on your career? Listen, well, and that's Tim Oliphant. Tim Oliphant character. Tim Oliphant character in the latest season of Fargo as well. Well, but but let's get real with this. If if he does this whole season. Tim Oliphant is going to have the ability to show up at every friggin' sci-fi convention until he's 112 years old yeah, and probably make 15 that... grand for two hours. Yeah, you you fucking do this. It, it's yeah. the greatest annuity you could think of. I mean... Right. Well, so, I, I don't know. That was the last thing. Because it was pretty funny the way they phrased it. Because it's just like, yeah, it's the same thing. But it's like, Tim Oliphant, he's such a, like, you know... He, he like if you ever seen any of his interviews where he's basically halfway gone anyways like he's just right he's like, yeah you know i'm pretty good at playing this character i'll do it yeah right. whatever all right so um but i don't know that was the last thing i had on mandalorian i don't know if you nope, had anything nothing else. else uh i've been watching succession um 
and I just finished up episode six, like right before we started this. And uh, Did it, pick it up? is so, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like the last two, like, here's what I'll say the first four episodes are good, but you're still kind of like, all right, so what are we getting at here? Like, you kind of get like who all the players are. You're kind of like, all right, I kind of get this. The girl from Predestination is in it. Uh, the girl who was really a guy, but whatever. Where, where, but she's in it. Where everyone is the dude. <laughs> yeah, right. But she's the girl. She's the female actress. I guess. And it. she was also in Steve Jobs. But she's in it. And, like, she plays Shiv because her name is, like, Siobhan. But her she goes by Shiv. And she's, like, this um, – she's a uh, campaign manager, essentially, for this senator who's trying to become a, the president, essentially – but she is the daughter of uh, Brian Cox's character. So Brian Cox is the founder, owner, not, yeah, just big, big wig of this major, major media conglomerate company called Waystar Royco. His name's Logan Roy. And like, uh, so you basically figure out who all these players are. And like the characters are interesting and some of them are really weird. Like you kind of divvy up between, okay, there are the rich douchebags there are the rich people with like a conscience and then there's like the people who married in who are either so want to be part of the family or kind of can take it or leave it like telling i don't really care so like there's that so you know who the players are in the first part of this but i will say the last two episodes were awesome like we're really really so it's truly four hours of laying the groundwork yes okay and you kind but it is not what's great is it is not like um i don't want to use this example but like mr robot in the hacking and all that stuff like you're kind of like okay like i got it i got it It it's cool but as it went on and it just kind of delved into these weird like psychoanalysis crap and it's just like oh jesus like I i don't care just get me to the hacking well this is all about like corporate intrigue corporate intrigue okay and it stays the course it is corporate intrigue like doubles down which i am all let's let's do it like it is like yes it talks about some family stuff but it's only the family stuff because of how the business is set up like his kids help run the business or some of his kids do so anything that's family related it's all in that corporate intrigue structure it's just another aspect of that so like that's really good um the gay friend from Scott Pilgrim, Wallace, he's in it. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he's weird. Like, there's some stuff. Like, his character is kind of this, like, almost like nihilist, just rich kid does whatever he wants. But like, there's, I like for some characters you want to, you can relate to him. I can't relate to this dude at all, which is I think kind of the point. Like, there's literally a scene where he's with like his latest girl of the week who's clearly just with him because of the money. And they're at some ball or gala. And he sees his girl, this girl, the girl talking to a waiter. And the waiter's clearly kind of macking a little bit. And he comes over and he just does this big power play of, cause he's holding the waiter's holding a bottle. He goes, oh yeah. Uh, pour this for me. Yeah, pour. Um, I'm sorry. You guys were talking. What are you talking about? Uh, do you want her number? Um, no, I'm talking to you. Do you want her number? Like totally embarrassing this dude. And he talks to the girl. He's like, do you want him to ask you for your number? And then the girl like says, yes, I want to ask. So he like makes this dude ask her. She writes it down and gives it to him. 
So this whole awkward moment happens. They get to his apartment at the end of the episode. And the dude, the waiter calls her. He takes her phone vibrating and uses it as a vibrator against her cooch. And then they like have sex. And I'm like, who thought of like to write that? Like, I, like it was just, it was one of the weirdest things I'd, I'd ever seen. But that's the kind of show you're dealing with. Well, that's the kind of character you're dealing okay. with. I'll say that. It's not, the, it's not that show, but it's just like, it was just weird. So is this some, cases. this supposed to be a um, Rupert Murdoch analog thing? I think so. I think that's what it's supposed to be. Are there direct be. people in there that tie directly to? I don't, I don't know the Murdoch family like that. No, I don't either, but okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm guessing Logan Roy, who's Brian Cox's character, is supposed to be Rupert Murdoch. Like James Cromwell plays his estranged brother, so it's cool seeing him show up. Uh, that'll do. The tall kid. That'll do. Pig. The tall kid. That'll do. Yeah, the the tall kid from Sky High is in it, and he's really funny. Doesn't in mean it. shit to me. Uh, that doesn't mean a damn thing to me. He's been in other stuff, but I first knew him as the tall kid from Sky High. He could like stretch his arms, and, hey, dude. or not stretch his arms. He he didn't stretch his arms. He like glue. He uh he he could glow. That's what he could hey, do. Good to meet you. You're the tall kid from Sky High. I don't need your name. He was he was in kid. other stuff. Like he was in I, the watch. I know. Oh uh classic. With Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn. He played an alien. Uh he he's been in better things, but that's what I know him. <laughs> like he's he's funny in it. Uh the guy, there is this guy who's married to Shiv. He married into the family. He runs like a parks division. And he is like so insecure, he's so weird. But it was clear like he was beaten up, not beaten up, but he was tormented by the family. So he torments uh, the tall kid because the tall kid's really the grandson of James Cromwell who's trying to get a job. It's a whole thing. Okay. You should watch okay. it. It's really, it's really good. Okay. But uh, but yeah, um, I'll get into the first major story, I guess. So Disney Plus, they're making a Moon Knight show. Oscar Isaac is going to be Mark Spector. Um, he's going to be Marvel's Batman. I know you like talking about Moon Knight. You can go off. This is a Moon Disney Knight. Plus series. Yep. So I so so Moon Knight as a character is kind of like a crazy dude that's got some yeah, power. Yeah, he he suff- suffers quote unquote he has like hallucinations some delusions hears voices thinks that the moon egyptian moon god khonshu is talking to him which may or may not be true but he's like a mercenary with some alter egos all that stuff and i'm wondering i I mean that's an interesting character but right i don't know if that's a series and you know disney paid up to get oscar isaac I, i i just don't see that that um character well and here's the deal that deal is not cut that deal is not settled either he's in talks from what i've read right um yeah. much like uh do you did you know who the original dr strange was <laughs> gonna be walking yes yeah. so i mean yeah. i mean maybe this doesn't get done i i'm just sort of like i'm I'm like, is it? Are they really making a series with this character? I, I think, I think. It's, I mean, if they play, if they play on the mercenary thing, it's pretty easy to see where it goes. I just don't know if it's that interesting. I don't know if it's that interesting, but if it's Oscar Oscar Isaac, I don't think. I think Oscar Isaac carries enough weight that he's not going to um, 
waste his time. Yeah, he's not going to waste his time doing shit yet and still. The- he signed on to some series with Jessica Chastain like called like Failing Marriage well, or something. Well, that's that's so what are they making a movie of the the one movie with uh you know it's kind of a revolutionary oh, road marriage story. <laughs> oh my god. Um what an uplifting movie. But 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 then again, you know what? How many big ticket movies are being produced? You know what? If you, you're when it's all said and done, well, Oscar Isaac's a good name. He's still a working actor. You go where the work is. Great streaming right. series. Fine. Have you played? I, played I think. Well. I think. Whereas he was sort of like given the stiff arm to Disney a little bit after uh, the a little the, bit. The, the Star Wars. I think he also realized, you know, it makes sense for me to uh, reengage with them corporately um, because they've got one of the top handful of streaming platforms out there and that might be the future of work and for me as a working actor so um smart on him uh you know i I read articles that john boyega is trying to school disney on on the right way to do things uh so he is actually trying to re-engage uh he's actually now after sort of shitting on whether that was uh kathleen kennedy or lucasfilm or disney corporate he's now sort of Reengaging Disney, and I don't know who's who pushed that to talk to who, but I think you know folks want to work. So yeah, uh, so it's actually called it's a limited series from HBO remake of Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage. So there you go. Um, Ooh, the movie. Yeah, they're making a limited series. So um, man. So then, uh, but I will say, if they just like basically just make a better Daredevil, like eight episodes, seven episodes instead of thirteen episodes, just do it. I'm sure, we'll be fine. Um, you know, Jeremy Slater de- will develop and lead the writing team. He wrote the Netflix adaptation of uh, the Umbrella Academy, which I saw about five episodes of. wasn't a big fan. Um, I just heard it was weird as hell. Yeah, I mean. It's kind of strange. It couldn't. Like, it couldn't not... have been weird as the HBO series that I watched a little bit of um, Doom Patrol. Carnival? Holy shit, that oh, was weird. Doom. Oh, Doom! Patrol. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> uh, interested to see who else joins Oscar Isaac uh, to see if it's just a bunch of people who come cheap or if they're actually trying to fill out the cast with some people. Um, I think Jeez. that if as the lines kind of continue to blur between television and film, it'd be really interesting if, you know, they're doing She-Hulk, they're doing Miss Marvel, you know, is there going to be some bigger budget kind of team-up show with these people like they tried to, well, like they did with the Defenders on Netflix? The thing with Netflix is like, oh my god, those shows were totally made on the cheap. Like, those shows, I mean, they would have you know, $40 million for 13 episodes. And it's like, I know they're blowing that out of the water uh, with these shows. I mean, hell, Mandalorian's getting $120 million to $150 million a season um, for eight episodes. So it'll just be interesting like to see if, if that happens, if they just do some team-up show and they really pump money into it. I and don't. That's coming straight to Disney+. Plus. I, like, don't think, that's a I, I, I don't think they do that, personally. We'll see. I mean, um, I, I, I don't know uh, if Moon Knight is a character to truly team up. She-Hulk for sure. 
and Miss Marvel. I could see Shialka and Miss Marvel teaming up since they were sort of Avengers light um, ish. But yeah, maybe not Moon Knight. I mean, well, I don't know. People said the same thing about Captain America with his folks. I mean, Moon Knight with them isn't, or is it because of the psycho? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's sort of. Yeah, I, I just think that he's more of his own dude. Doing his own you know, thing. I wonder if they go with the traditional suit where he's got the the cape or he's got the cloak and everything and the staff, or are they going to put him in like that yeah, suit, it's too that sp- white suit with the with the tight spandex mask, but with just a moon r- on right, right, but no hoodie like they had. In, yeah, yeah, that hoodie thing is like the seventies, uh, late sixties, early seventies Marvel stuff. While wow. is he going to have the the moon-shaped uh, ship that flies around like the Man, like the bat wing uh, almost. I, I don't know. Well, he's super rich dude, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. Uh, but clearly, uh, Netflix could take a lesson because Disney's leaning on genre heavy genre focused content, um, <laughs> and not this like. Look, there's a place for award-winning stuff. There is. But you want to get, you want to build that subscriber base. You need your action stuff. You need your horror stuff. You need your, you know, romantic stuff. Like you need to lean into genre. Um, but anyways, uh, speaking of genre, uh, next I have Willow's sequel series officially a go at Disney Plus. John Man. M. Chu, to John M. Chu to direct the uh, pilot episode. Um, takes place years after the events of the original Ron Howard directed film. Uh, John M. True, who directed Crazy Rich Asians, as the article up to state. However, they don't state that he did the the Bieber movie. He did like two of the step ups. Wait, wait. you know, Be- Bieber movie. Uh, that doesn't sound like a Disney Plus sort of product. A Bieber movie? Yeah, it was when he was like thirteen. Oh, I thought you said Bieber movie. Okay, no Bieber. Okay, Justin Bieber. Okay, Justin Bieber. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Kazin, who helped work on Solo. He's in it, um, or he's a, a, ta- a part of it. He's one of the showrunners. Uh, so I never saw the original film. I know you Light seen it. Fantasy, Val Kilmer, um, and Warwick Davis. And Warwick Davis. Um, it, it's sort of, uh, it's kind of like uh, they have to, they got this ginger baby girl that they have to deliver somewhere and defeat someone. It's kind of, three men and a baby vibe because you got the baby with you all the time, though they're not changing diapers. I don't, I don't think the baby shits himself once or shits herself once during the show. So the baby's there and it either coos or cries. And uh, I, I, I don't know what they're going to make of it, but it's light fantasy. Um, it'll be perfect for kids. It is. It, I, you know, watch the movie. Um, it's it's probably worth a watch to revisit. It looks it. so. Dated. It is it is so fantastically eighties. You know, you're waiting for like a Nintendo to jump out at you and just to start playing it. I mean, it is it is so. 80s. Well, it's like it's uh you know I, I was thinking about it, I'm like oh my god but you was know, this Lucas they... was this a Lucasfilm thing or like yeah okay yeah yeah and this is the first Lucasfilm thing that Disney's doing that isn't Star Wars. So, like, that's another reason why people are kind of saying, oh, what are they going to do? But I think about, like, yeah, it looks corny. But, I mean, honestly, you know, Star Trek looks super corny. And I'm a big fan of the modern Star Trek movies. I like them a lot. I think they're a lot of fun. 
Um, so I, you know, I'm interested to see what they could do. I mean, I'm not super into John, John M. Chu directing it, but directed, well, he's directing the pilot episode, so he's not like writing it or anything. So I don't think, you know, I don't think he's going to have like this big stamp on it. We'll see how it goes. I wish the other Kasdan was doing it, not Lawrence, but Jake Kasdan, who did a uh, walk hard, do a cock story. I think, uh, <laughs> I think, I think he really could have lent some serious, uh, serious chops to this but i i mean it's just more stuff for um they're just they're just throwing shit up on the network they got they got to get stuff out there they have to build it out because netflix while it's quantity over quality uh disney plus just has to have put put some quantity up there i i have no expectations that it's frankly going to be any good but you know what if this is something that's going to appeal to seven to 12 year olds holy smoke i mean rock and roll i mean that's what parents want is safe viewing for the kids which the movie is certainly that i mean it is light 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 as hell fantasy type stuff so uh well another val kilmer film people should check out uh kiss kiss bang bang not for the kids but very good real genius real genius is great 80s real genius it. yes have you seen that uh i don't believe i have so so that should definitely be seen came out in about 85 86 he plays a student at um a caltech sort of school uh it you know considered kind of the smartest kid in the world but he's in college mm-hmm. at that point and takes on some 15 year old wonder kid as a roommate and he's got other people that are uh um that go through it. And William Atherton is sort of the smarmy bad guy, most well-known as uh, in Die Hard, one in Ghostbusters as Mr. Peck, um, the EPA guy, but also in Die Hard as the uh, news uh, reporter who threatens, oh, to call the, who threatens to call immigration on the maid. And, and he is sort of the, he, I, I guess you could Wait, say he's the, the antagonist. Harvey guy. Yes, he's Edith Harvey. Yes, Edith uh, Harvey. Very funny, uh, very funny movie. It's 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 pretty eighties, but it's it's really fun. And and one of the other sort of antagonists um, was uh, played a character in one of my favorite movies, Michael Clayton, who was the uh, the 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 fixers that go and kill uh, Tom uh, Wilkinson's uh, uh, oh, attorney okay. guy. He hasn't done a whole hell of a lot. We deal deal in absolutes. That's right. That's right. That guy. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) That's such a great. That's such a great line. Uh, You know, uh, uh, we we deal in absolutes. Yeah, exactly. Jesus, I just remember being. I forget how I was. I fourteen, fifteen. I'm like, he's talking about killing him, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton rules that movie. It is great. Uh, Speaking of Michael Clayton. Uh, George Clooney, there's a trailer for his latest directorial debut, which he also stars in, The Midnight Sky for Netflix. Uh, I think the Netflix moniker kind of shows where his directorial career is at right now um, because his last two um, effort, directorial efforts were Monuments Men and then Suburbicon. So, okay, I've, I'm familiar with yeah. Monuments Men and I know that kind of sucked. I've never yeah. even heard of Suburbicon. What the fuck is that? Suburbicon came and went 
very quickly. I mean, so, that sounds like something that like Hulk Hogan is babysitting somebody. In. So it's I mean, a script from Joel and Ethan Cohen. What? Cohen Brothers. Yes. And it was originally supposed to be directed by them. But somewhere it went to Clooney. Clooney and Heslov rewrote the script. Grant Heslov, his producing partner, and who's also in the Scorpion King. Check it out. Uh, was, <laughs> the um, Scorpion King. <laughs> Scorpion oh. King is a is a guilty pleasure. Home of uh, no Scorpion King is not home of the worst special effect. Though the Scorpion King that's Mummy. That's Mummy Returns. Mummy Returns which, is the worst special effect ever of all. Which time. features the character the Scorpion. The Scorpion King. King yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no Suburbicon. I don't know if you remember. It's Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac, like. Matt Damon like murders some gangsters and he's it takes place in like the 50s and it's like so it's weird because like these gangsters kill his wife and his like son is there it's like a black comic kill his wife and then like yeah he like owes money or something and they kill his wife and her sister poses like as his new wife but then he ends up like killing some of these gangsters, and Oscar Isaac shows up. Is like you need to pay a certain because he owes money or something. But like this is what all the trailers show. Turns out there's this whole other subplot where like there's this black family and there's all this racism and they get blamed for some shit that's happening across the street. But it's the whole fact of like all the press is focused on this black family when all this real crime is going on and whatever. I didn't see when it. When did it come? Did it come? Was it like a pandemic it's, casualty? It's 20, or when did it come? No, 20, 2017. This came out fall of 2017. I remember Jesus. all of the trailers. I remember all the trailers because I'm like, Coen Brothers, Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac, George Clooney's directing this. Maybe he bounced back from Monuments Men because, you know, I was going like one on, one off with his directorial efforts because he had like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Then he had like something... And then he had like Good Night and Good Luck. And then he had like Leatherheads. And then he had Eyes of March. And then he had Monuments. Leatherheads. And, and Leatherheads is mad. It's okay. But like, but like, and then he had Suburbicon. So I'm thinking, oh, Suburbicon is going to come back. Got a script from the Coen brothers. No, this thing cost $25 million. It made $12.8 million. Uh, 28% Rotten Tomatoes, 42 on Metacritic. Wow. Not, wow. Not good. So now he's directing a movie for Netflix. It's Midnight Sky. Well, so this is so, based on a novel. Um, right. And and I, I don't want to give away the plot, but even though this seems to tell there's a lot going on there, and, and it's a weird juxtaposition because we talk about The Mandalorian. And if you talk about the most sort of uh, highly respected sci-fi based sort of movies that have happened over the last call it five six years now are we talking true sci-fi or like semi-realistic sci-fi semi-realistic sci-fi spacey sort of stuff yeah it's gravity the martian uh, uh the, the 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 movie with the squid looking interstellar at, i guess what's the movie with um the squid looking people that come down and it's time is arrival arrival okay so especially with gravity and arrival those are stories about very sort of basic things like 
feelings coming to terms. Arrivals, arrivals about communicating your feelings. Communicating your feelings. Gravity is coming to terms with life loss. events, loss, right? And these are very human sort of like, they are deep human explorations, like internal human explorations right. that are over a, you know, hey, we're in space or hey, aliens showed up or whatever. Um, right. And based upon... It's not about the bigger thing. It's about... Right. It is, it is yeah. just the backdrop to this more internal story that's told. And this movie, based upon the plot of the book, is all about the internal. It is entirely about the internal. And some of that is dealing with loss. I'm not going to give away the plot because, frankly, you read the plot of the book. And the plot of the book is... You know, I looked at this and I'm like, so is this like a Cormac McCarthy novel um, where it is kind of very spare writing and it is about, you know, dealing with things? And it's, you know, it's not like, um, what was the Coen Brothers movie based on? What's the one that, what's the one that won Best Picture? Shit. No Country. Yeah, no yeah, country. yeah. Okay, well, so, so that tells a story, but it's not as internalized. But I'd say The Road is pretty internalized, but that has a more graphic backdrop but but it's certainly an internalized book uh i it is it is really a depressing downer sort of book but um so so clooney is trying to take this story and have it be something that is as internally weighty as call it arrival and gravity and uh right. and it's like good luck <laughs> good luck the, the well, people love like the book I mean, people think the book right. is the shit. So I'm like, okay. I just think, well, one thing, it's like Clooney, I know he was in Gravity, which is, I mean, it's barely a sci-fi movie, but sure, it's sci-fi. Um, I, I just feel like George Clooney does not, in sci-fi, just or heavy sci-fi, just doesn't go together. I feel like, I, like I, his I, style of acting or maybe just the person he is always seems to just fit real world, real life stuff way better. And like, and then this isn't just like a Tomorrowland thing, but it's just like, I just, when I think of Clooney, I, I think of, like you said, Michael Clayton or oceans or hell, even the American or the descendants or Anyone, just very grounded type movies. Well, and 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 Clooney is able to, Clooney is able to play that character. And based upon what I've read about the novel, okay, this character is sort of like regular person going through stuff. I just don't know if like you know is he the do is he the guy to do it on a spaceship because he is so lead the vehicle able to play the grounded thing. But what's interesting though is, and that's why I talked to juxtapose it with the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian is nothing about feelings. It is the exact opposite yeah, no. of feelings. And it's, it's, and it's the, the space. At hand. Right. It's, but it's got the sort of space background with more of a universe that people know and feel. And, and it's interesting because this is 180 degrees from what the Mandalorian is going to be. And I wouldn't even say the Martian, the Martian isn't like this. The Martian is the objective at hand um, sort, yeah. sort of movie. And it's, Hey, how do we, Use science, legit problem, science, problem to, to problem solve this. Fine, uh, but okay. This is hey, personal issues I'm grappling with, and over this sort of 
spacey type thing. I, I, this is not truly a space thing. It's more of a, you know, world calamitous event. I mean, I mean, I think you can talk about the, if you talk about what happens, there's some event that happens on earth, you know, the care, you know, the, one of the characters, if you read the book, there's a character that's in the Arctic, whether it's the, the South or North pole working somewhere or in space. And some event happens on earth that causes huge disasters that may have been a borderline extinction level event, but because he's on the North right. pole, what the hell does he know? He's, he's in the North pole. Um, and these other people are in space. We really don't know right. what happened, but that is the backdrop for this internal story of stuff that's being grappled with. Um, well, uh, you know, pretty good cast. Yeah. Lucy Jones, yeah. David Oyelowo, Kyle Chandler, written by Mark L. Smith, who co-wrote The Revenant. He co-wrote Overlord, which is a very uh, punchy uh, genre type movie. Or not punchy, pulpy genre type movie. Um, he also wrote Vacancy. You remember Vacancy? Is that, uh, is that one of the... Um, is that the one with Luke Wilson? Luke Wilson yeah. horror movie, yeah. yeah. Uh, he wrote a movie called The Hole, which was directed by Joe Dante. That's supposed to be pretty good. Um, the Hole? Uh, yeah, it's called The Hole. It's like a teen, it's like a teen horror, teen thriller, Disturbia I'm having, type. I'm just having trouble not to um, think about I'm it. I'm making a joke. Uh, right no, 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 I'm just having trouble not to think about it. It's always sunny in Philadelphia right now. <laughs> the Hole. What, am I missing something? What's the song? What's the song that's sung at the uh, something's old? Dayman. Dayman is it? Oh, song? boys' hole. <laughs> you got to pay the troll toll if you want to get in, if you want to get into that boys' soul. Yeah. Boys yeah. Hole. Right. 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 It sounds like hole because yes, uh, yes, Frank. Yes, I'm a yeah. yes, I'm a child. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also he also wrote. The English remake of Martyrs, and I don't know if you know what Martyrs is. No. Uh, Martyrs was a French horror movie that is almost these. It's almost like this X-rated horror movie where this, where like, it is so weird. So, like this girl is like skinned alive. And, like, you see every bit of it. Um, the only reason I've seen this was Halloween of 17. My roommate at UF was like, dude, got to see this movie. It's scary. It's really not that scary as much as it's just gross. <laughs> um, it's just, like, it's disgusting. It's just really disgusting. Because, literally, there's, like, this really nice family living in this house. And all of a sudden, this woman comes, this girl comes in, just blows their brains out. Like, all their brains out. And you're like, what? Why is this happening? Like, what? What? And they're like keeping her sister prisoner under this house, and she's got all these cuts. Her finger. I mean, it is like wait, wait. weird. And then there's and this had to be remade. No. Exactly right. Uh, the English version got like a nine percent. The French version got like a fifty-two percent. So clearly, I got the better better end of the stick there. So it's like, and then this secret. Um, well, uh, society comes to this house, right? They're all dressed in black. They're looking for the sister, and the sister that's kept like uh, the sister that's kept captive, right? 
So I think she like dies or something. So the sisters that came to rescue her, she ends up getting taken prisoner by the society. They skin her alive so that like when she's about to die, she can see what the afterlife feels like because she's on like the edge of death. And then she tells like the leader of the society, right? So the leader of society then go. This is how it ends. Leader of society goes to this room in the house and every everyone else in this society is like up against the door like oh my god she knows she knows what the afterlife is like and she's taking off her glasses and she's like folding some of her clothes right and they're like what is it what is it and she's like well it's it is quite amazing and now that i know you never will blows her brains out it's the end of the movie i'm like what the what did i just spend an hour and a half watching um like, you know weirdest you know you're not like you, you know you are not grasping the vision of an auteur okay oh my god it was it was like it was the weirdest it was the weirdest i can like i never want to hear anybody talk about avant-garde shit anymore because it's like i had to sit through martyrs okay i know what it is it's stupid and it's just weird it's just like i wasn't disturbed or anything like you're you know yeah they just filleted this girl she tells the secret what is the society is built on knowing what the afterlife is she tells the secret to the leader. She blows her brains out as a fuck you to the rest of her society. If you couldn't think humanity could get any worse, like think about think about the cascade of decisions there. But but you don't. You, like, but you don't understand how that closed the circle of the story. You see, and and that elevated this to a much higher. Or I I can't believe that sort of shit. I can't believe exists. What, well, but. Someone funded this piece of shit. I mean, that's what I'm getting. I mean, in France. I mean, it's it's France. So, you know, <laughs> what are we really losing here? So, but ba- back to the Midnight Sun, though. That thing yeah, looks ahead. like the, Midnight the, Sky. Uh, whatever, Midnight Sun, Midnight Sky. What, what what the fuck? Alaska, whatever. Um, um, that thing looks like big budget theatrical oh, yeah. release. I mean, I'm assuming. Was this a Netflix production from the beginning, or was this like studio sort of did it? Netflix bought up the bones of it and finished it off because it um, it's, it looks like big ticket. Like no, it's a, it is. I mean, Netflix super produced. Up. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's distributed by Netflix. It's produced by Smokehouse Pictures Anonymous Content. It was bought by Netflix. It wasn't at another studio then sold. Okay. Like it was bought. Okay, yeah. Anonymous content, they're still doing stuff. Good for them. Um, yeah, December 23rd, 2020. So Merry Christmas. Um, yeah. Uh, Assassin's Creed live action Netflix series in development. Uh, clearly a product of the success of The Witcher series. Well, and, and clearly a product yeah. that they can make like 20 seasons of because there's been so many Assassin's Assassin's Creed yeah. game. I mean, Assassin's Creed. I, I mean, this is all like how many how many Assassin's Creed games have there been? Let's see. There was Assassin's Creed. There was Assassin's Creed Two. There was Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, Revelations Three, Four, Unity, Pirates. Uh, there, yeah, that was Assassin's Creed Four, Black Flag. There was Unity. What's the Revolutionary there, War one? That was three. Okay. There was Odyssey. There's Valhalla now. There's Origins. There's Syndicate. There's, I mean, then there's all the there's ones. There's eight that, like, seasons. The there's essentially there's eight an, seasons right there to make. 
yeah i mean there's an indian there's like there's you know chronicles assassin's creed chronicles which is like you know on game boy or psp or whatever or like there's all these little offshoots they had these animated little shorts i mean it's it is a media franchise it's not just a gaming franchise it's basically a media franchise at this point they had the movie that came out that didn't work um you know that came out at the end of 2016 and everybody i was hyped about that because the same director writer team uh and the two stars michael fassbender marion cotillard were in that macbeth the macbeth movie the year before that got really good reviews that was supposedly really good it was literally the same director writer same two stars um what video what video game movie has done well literally the most successful critically I think to this point have been Tomb Raider with Elysia Vikander in the Sonic movie. I'm not. No, no, no. But the first Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie. No, not that one. I'm talking about the Elysia Vikander. No, no. But the first one actually got okay. No, but the first Tomb Raider made a ton of money. I'm not talking about money. There are other video game movies that made money. I mean, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about like an actual good. No, no, no. But no, no, no. But I'm talking about good movie made money, like good enough movie that made money. Like, what video game movies um, have really done it? Uh, sure wasn't Rampage. It wasn't, wasn't Doom. I mean, Rampage did not do poorly. A, but, like, it wasn't Doom. I mean, Mortal Kombat? How did Mortal Kombat? Yeah, the first Mortal Kombat, I mean, that was before you were born. The first Mortal Kombat probably did okay. It wasn't, it was, it, I would define it as good trash. Um, not Not excellent yeah. trash. A good trash. Second I one, like Mortal Kombat should be so easy to make. Like, you make an eighty-minute movie. Hey, there's a tournament, and just make it gory as hell. Johnny and Cage. You get your no, but it was PG yeah, thirteen. No, but you had to make yeah, it PG thirteen exactly. to get the kids in. No, I, yeah, but uh, no, I, I, Sega. Yeah, I don't know what a. Uh, um, you know, sure wasn't the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know, we know. Um, but I, you know, they're still searching for a showrunner, so it's like, okay, this thing is. We don't even know if this thing is really going to get made, but we'll. So see. they just got the rights uh, to it. Essentially, yeah. Uh, and you know, but the thing is, Ubisoft, who you know, they make the games. You know, Ubisoft and Netflix are working on the Division adaptation. You know, and that thing's been in development for. Three, three years or so and Jessica Chastain and Jake Gyllenhaal are attached and they still don't have a director for that. Yeah, movie. dude. So yeah, it's like, right, right, right. what's what's going to happen? If they lean into the ridiculousness of Assassin's Creed, like, don't try to explain the animus. Like, oh, we relive the memories. Just go. Just do it. And don't try to explain shit. Just say, don't think about it too much. Let's have some fun. Let's kill people. Like, that's all you really need to do. Because truly, the most... It, the most interesting thing that you can do with that franchise isn't even you can't even really do it in the franchise because what people get most excited about is when they make those fan made posters where they take all the characters and they line them up as if they were on the same team. But you can't do that in Assassin's Creed. So it's like okay, you're gonna have to make each story interesting. And really, if they want to start somewhere, you're not gonna start where the first Assassin's Creed starts. You need to start with the American Revolution Assassin's Creed. That's where you need to start. Do not start with. 1274 in Damascus. No one gives a shit. Like no one gives a what shit. What are you talking about? Or if you or maybe Renaissance Italy, but really what you need to do, 
start with the American Revolution, then go to Renaissance Italy. Because Renaissance Italy would be like, oh, shit, we're going out of the country in the Renaissance. You know, you get to see Da Vinci and you know The, 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 the problem is I, the American Revolution as a time period to make movies, I, I think off of that, of the top of my head, and there have not been, that was, that is not easy to do. Um, I mean, what, what movie, the Patriot, that was not very good in my opinion. Have there been other sort of movies made about movies? Yeah. Movies. I mean, there was that John Adams series, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that was a biography. I'm talking about like a straight narrative movie that is like a novel sort of thing. You know, I mean, there was this movie revolution that came out in 84 that had Al Pacino playing this New York, uh, a blacksmith. Oh my God. Oh, holy shit. Give me liberty or give me death. Think about Al Pacino just ripping the screen up, playing a revolutionary figure in New York. You gotta be kidding me. It, they're saying is it's 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 one of the worst pieces of shit out there that's that's ever been put out. I mean, that's ever been made. Much like the Christopher Columbus movies from that era, too. Anyway. Um I mean, like I mean, well, I mean, there was Hamilton, uh, but um, <laughs> it was that was so successful that people felt so good about it as a movie. They recorded it on the stage. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I just you got to got to wait to see the talent involved because it's just. But but all they're doing is they're throwing money out and getting options on it. So they're securing their rights. They have to make something of it. Good luck. I mean, that's fine. Good luck. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Kenya Barris to direct Richard Pryor biopic at MGM. So this, um, so wasn't Lee Daniels attached to one that was going to Mike Epps play yes, Richard Pryor? So it was Lee Daniels, Mike Epps. That is not happening anymore. Uh, this would be the director debut of Kenya Barris. He's a writer on Barbershop, The Next Cut, Girls Trip, 2019's Shaft, The Witches. Uh, Coming to America 2. He wrote for Girlfriends, created the Ish universe, Blackish, Grownish, and Mixedish. Yeah. What what is your favorite show of the Ish universe? Of the Ish? Yeah. You know, I've seen a few episodes of Grownish. It's not, it's not terrible, but it's, um, I've seen, I've basically seen, I've probably seen most of the first season of Blackish, honestly. Is is but um is it's is the, net, it's network television. It's network television. So the ish is, extended universe only, doesn't have a lot of yeah. depth to it or anything, right? No. Okay. Uh but it's like, you know, I just feel like with network television, it can only get so good, you know? It it's just ever since the end of community and parks and rec, I mean Good place how good good place was supposed to be good. Yeah, no, that's good places. Uh, good places, all right. Um, it's yeah. Um, I'm. But, okay, I, so, I, I don't so know outside of I, outside of NBC. Oh yeah, well yeah. I, I don't know. Um, you know, there was essentially a Richard Pryor biopic that came out that he started called Jojo Dancer. Your life is calling. I want to say it came out in '86, and that's very at least the first probably hour of it is great the end of it isn't but it gets up it goes up through the point that he it goes up to his life through the point where he you know blew himself up free base and you, know, you see him in the hospital and stuff like that 
it's it's funny and it's fun. It's yeah, not so, meant to play so as a comedy, was, but I mean, so he burned himself up. He was freebasing cocaine. Oh no, no. The best story is this. So in the early seventies, early to mid seventies, he was in a relationship with Pam Greer. Now, for those that oh, are listening okay. to this, in the early seventies, if you go find a Pam picture, Greer was she was the shit fucking phenomenal see coffee <laughs> see see any of these Foxy movies Brown. with pam Greer. Foxy, i mean yes P- pam Greer, off yes off the hook ridiculous so she's in her, he's in a relationship with pam Greer. she goes to see her doctor and the doctor says well you know there's this thing going around it's, so this is in the 70s you know there's this thing going around where you know uh, you know, you have cocaine encrusted in your cervix. And now Pam Greer didn't do drugs. She's never done drugs. She's like, okay, I don't do drugs. And the doctor's like, so is Richard, like, is he putting his cocaine into his dick in order to maintain his erection while you have sex? And she's like, not that I'm aware of. I mean, there's not a pile of cocaine next to the, next to like on the nightstand next to the bed. <laughs> But then again, she says or something again, I am dating Richard Pryor. So I don't know what right. he's doing. So then he's like, he must be doing ridiculous amounts of cocaine to the point that her it's cervix in is, stuff. it's in his semen. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's essentially like, I was just like, damn, Pam, damn. But I, I'm, I'm, I don't, I think whatever attempt you try to make of a Richard Pryor biopic. Um, I, I, you are never going to be able to capture who Richard Pryor was. I mean, I mean, if, if you get your sort of stand-up comedy heads that love stand-up comedy, the big two are always... Richard Pryor and George Carlin. George Carlin. And, and depending upon what you're into... It's it's Dave one Chappelle. or two. It it just depends. I'm not going to put Dave Chappelle up there, um, but I mean, I mean maybe when he's done he will be. But but you can't capture. It's impossible to capture what Richard Pryor was, and frankly, the insanity of his life. I mean, I mean Richard Pryor was supposed to have starred in Blazing Saddles, but because of his extracurricular activities. They couldn't count on him to, you know, hold it together to star. So they gave the role to Cleavon Little, who was great in it. Obviously, he was great. Um, but and so you saw, if you see Blazing Saddles, you see he has a writing credit at the beginning of the movie because he wrote a bunch of jokes. Not surprisingly. So I mean, I mean, he's just this ridiculous talent. But you know, his ability to be super aggressive sounds yet- like the Peter Sellers stuff. In terms of just the extracurricular, well, I mean, I, 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 mean, Peter Sellers. I'm not aware that Peter Sellers was going through blow. However, you could speak to what Peter, happened to Peter Sellers, who was also this sort of ridiculous talent, trying um, to achieve the ultimate orgasm and stuff. Or are you talking about the five heart attacks? Well, that was sort of all the that was all in the same thing. Took a whole bunch of amyl nitrate. Um, yeah. Trying to achieve the ultimate or- orgasm with Brett Eklund, who was his wife, who was another sort of, um, you know, it pa- girl. Pam Greery type of, uh, yeah, it girl of the 60s. And he ended up, and I'm a, he was like in his 30s at the time, 
because he too, took too much amyl nitrate, had five heart attacks over the period of like eight hours. It's like, dude, yeah. dude, <laughs> dude, what sort of nut are you trying to bust, man? I mean, five <laughs> years. What, what the hell did you take? I think it's actually like eight. I remember reading it was it, eight like heart eight attacks. Hours. Something like that. Yeah, it's I like, can look it up. You know, you know, party with that guy. It, but but isn't like coming? I mean, <laughs> it feels pretty good, right? I mean, how much more ultimate? You know, the ultimate is the ability to do it and enjoy it with, with this chick who is essentially like an eleven out of ten for British sixties. Here we go. Here we go. Go ahead. On the night of April fifth, nineteen sixty four, prior to having sex with Eklund, Sellers inhaled amyl, amyl nitrates. Uh, poppers as a sexual stimulant in search for the ultimate orgasm and suffered a series of eight heart attacks over the course of three hours as a result. Yeah. Think uh, about that. And his, he was, wait, what year was that? Uh, 64. So... And he was born like in 30. No, he was born at 29. 25. So he was 38. He was 38, had eight heart attacks. Eight heart attacks illness... in three hours. His illness forced him to withdraw from the filming of Kiss Me Stupid. He was replaced by Ray Walston. Billy Wilder was unsympathetic about the heart attack, saying that you have to have a heart before you can have an attack. <laughs> um, well, yes. So, so yeah, and it's like, you know, you show me the video where he's, he's 54. Or looks like he's 75. Yeah, and he looks like he's in his 70s just because he didn't really take great care of himself. Um, yeah, that was an understatement. But, but I, all I'm saying is Richard Pryor, I mean, fine. You're gonna do it. Uh, I don't know if this. I, I don't know what this guy is gonna create. Go see Jojo Dancer. Your life is calling. Go see a few documentaries. Don't try to recreate it because you'll never. You'll never get up to the original. And after you see that, go see Richard Pryor live in concert. It is a. It is a concert the, uh... film from about 1979 that he did. So it was before he blew himself up and set himself on fire. I mean, Sunset Strip is okay. But watch live in concert. That is sort of his peak, and he's outstanding. And just enjoy it at that. I'm. I, I have no urge to see someone try to recreate Richard Pryor. It will never match up. Don't do it. Right. I mean. Uh, also watch the 40th President sketch. Uh, ah, yeah, yeah, from this TV rich. show in the. In the and 70s. it's clean. And it's clean. Yes. Um, uh, which uh, Paul Paul really appreciated when. Uh, oh yeah. I can't say I. Can't really say I showed it to him because I'm pretty sure he probably saw it before, but I think it was a long time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw this the other day. Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, you'll love this. John Stewart returns with a current affairs series for Apple, uh, feature hour long single subject episodes, of which there will be a companion podcast. Uh, joins another interview series, interview series, The Oprah Conversation. Which I didn't even know of till I read this article. The Oprah. Oh, oh, wait, wait, yes. wait. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, so a couple things. One, <laughs> I said a week or two ago that Apple's sort of trying to become the new HBO. Yeah. Them, them getting this. It's like, guess what? You got your um, the daily last week tonight. Last week tonight, we will ten up you by getting the dude who created this shit. And give him his own show. They are so becoming, or I'm, I don't know if they're becoming, but they're wanting to become HBO, HBO, and they are, they are doing it. So I did read some article where 
it said that he would have shows about um, to discuss uh, issues that he is uh, an activist about. And and I guess yeah, my response um, to that is a 9-11, fuck- 9-11 first responder. Okay, I'm I'm uh, I'm good with that. Big, I'm good with that. Big veteran veteran guy. Well, I, I'm I'm um, I'm good with that. Big. But if it gets into if it gets into some other shit, fuck my life. I mean, like what? Let's hear I, it. Let's I, hear I, it. I don't know. I don't know what else he's an activist about. It's just that if you listen, if you are going to pull up someone's bio on Wikipedia, and in their bio, it is actor, whatever, celebrity, model, whatever. And in the same sentence is the word activist. Click. I'm good. I'm good. Stop. Well, it's not. Activist isn't on his. So. Okay, that's that's fine. Now, political what, commentator. And that's fine. No, but, but here's the deal. <clears throat> he is an activist for a very specific thing about the survivors, the, the first responders to 9-11 when the towers came down and their extended and war, families. War veterans, health benefits. Those are like his two big Cool. Big cool. Great. Perfect. I love it. I love it. That's fine. I'm, I, I'm just um, – it's the people that just generally call themselves activists, and it's what they're being an activist about, ch- about changes whichever way the political wind – uh, is is pointing towards not that they're frankly changing out of what may be oh you know potentially a progressive mindset but today it's um, um, abortion rights tomorrow it is immigration the day after it's this as compared to hey stick to a topic just stick to a topic instead of just duct taping yourself to whatever is going to um, give you um, the most uh, feel good back patters from from your peers so, so you can show like hey i'm standing up for the little people and frankly you don't mean it all you really care about is feeling good about yourself um so that's it now hold on oprah has an hour-long conversation dad if we talk about this this episode will never end no 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 oh no 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 uh, no, no, no but hold on what is, is it just her talking to herself like the just edited you know how they edit those things where it's like a civil celebrity talking to themselves well well but why wouldn't um why wouldn't the leader of the oprah religion just spend time talking about herself well doesn't she have a goddamn channel where she can do this of course she does like, she not only has a channel she has a magazine which up until a that, year ago, I know. She's up until a year ago, she issue. was up until a year ago, she was the only person ever on the cover of that magazine. So that I know. So so is this? Is it? Is it? If if it's an in depth conversation with someone, like it's going to be the new Barbara Walters thing, because hey, people are willing to open up to her. Um, okay, that that might be okay. But if it is, if it's her sort of hanging out with Gail and they're going to just dish on stuff, yeah, okay. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> what? Nothing. I just, I know, we know our thoughts about, oh, the Oprah magazine's ending in December. What? Um, yeah, final issue, December 2020. My God, uh, this, is, this is a national tragedy well you know my theory about like 
how do you what would happen to the female population if Oprah when do you remember that or no 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 because everyone's gonna die but I'm saying if she was just brutally murdered like what, like, what would happen wait 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 wait, wait. and you're what? giving me a hard time about saying something well no 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 because I'm not saying I want that to happen I'm just saying like I just wonder like is she like you know you know like when when Michael Jackson died right people mourned and there was like for you know an hour the world just kind of stopped right you know like when jfk was murdered like the world just whoa what happened but i'm just wondering like all right you know people so, so what oprah do you think okay so what do you think oprah brings into apple no 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 but but her impact on society today what does she represent especially to women and it ain't just black women, it's all women of all types. What is that? The fact is it the fact that she became a self-made yeah, person? Of course. Yes. I mean, I well, number one, yeah. I mean, I think or, or she deserved, lived her life I, so I publicly deserves, and exposed yeah. herself so publicly I, I throughout think, it. Yeah, I think that deserves a huge amount of respect when you can, you know, you make yourself into a multi-billionaire and all that stuff. My problem with Oprah has always been the level of self-righteousness she seems to have. Um, and I think in narcissism, she seems to, I mean, she put herself on her own magazine for on every cover for almost two decades. Like if that's not narcissism, I don't really know what is. So, you know, people can shit on me all they want for that. But like, if you owned a magazine and put yourself on the cover for almost 20 years, I would think you're pretty narcissistic too, but it's, it's just one of those well, but, things. But, and, but, but there's also an, an idea of look, however I may feel about myself, I know that I sell. So I'm going to continue to sell in the way that I know the best way I can sell. Yeah. I mean, it's a combination I mean, of, right. I mean, my thing with, Op- uh, you know, there's the, the handbag thing that happened in, in uh was it france some foreign country right around when the butler was coming out i mean there's look there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can go into and you know bill burr has a joke about how oprah says she introduced a celebrity and she said she has the toughest job in the world she's a mother or whatever and it's like you know he says yeah i thought you know she's a mother i thought no hold on hold on she's introducing a celebrity oprah is and she goes, you know, she's done this, she's done that, and she has the toughest job in the world. She's a mother. And she Oprah says that. And Bill Burr's things like, yeah, that's a tough job. I thought roofing in July <laughs> it, as a redhead was pretty tough. But no, being, you know, that's being a mom is tougher, you know. And then he has this great ender. It's like, she's not even a fucking mother. How would she know? Um, you know, so look, Oprah's done a lot of good things. She's built schools in Africa. She's given away stuff. You know, cars. she'll have a show on cars. Yeah. She's given away oh. Pontiac G6s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and then they had the person who got it had to pay taxes on it. So anyways, the point is um, that she has her show on Apple and the people that will watch it will watch it. They'll eat that shit up and that'll just be the do way you really do you be. really think people are gonna watch it <clears throat> yes i do 
I don't think it's going to be the amount of people that watched her show or daytime television show when she was on a network. Well, but she was never on a network. It was a syndicated show. That's how she made all her money. She just did the show out of Chicago after she left Baltimore, where her only ever co-host is a St. Paul school graduate. God damn it. Richard share, which is where I went to high school. Thank you very much. Um, but she leaves Baltimore, goes to Chicago, gets a, uh, gets a, uh, um, Wait, the Oprah Winfrey show wasn't on like ABC or something? No, 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 no. It was syndicated. That's that's why Judge Judy makes fifty million dollars a year. She goes and creates the show, and then she goes out and sells it. To, she goes out and sells it through a syndication. No, I'm thing. I'm saying, yeah, I'm not saying like it was never a they, network television show. No, I'm not saying they like ordered her show. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying on what channel did it air? It aired on whatever it, it would air on a network affiliate, but it would air at four o'clock right. in the afternoon. But hold on, it was not aired because NBC had the rights and all NBC had the I show. I understand, I understand that, but did it still reach millions of people? Of course, it did. Uh, yes, okay, so done, done, done. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. So people watch it fine. John Stewart's back. Uh, so I don't know, you know, John Oliver's still going to have his, has his, have his show and nobody cares about Trevor Noah. So there you go. Um, if, so, so I hope John Stewart, um, you know, th- there's two ways that John Stewart can be. Um, John Stewart was a guy who, when I was in college, he had a show on MTV called you asked for it. We made it or, or something pretty basic. He was sort of doing stand-up comedy. He was sort of your standard New York um, stand-up comic. Who knew? A Jewish guy in New York is a stand-up comic. Who'd have thunk it? And then, right. and John, then John Leibowitz. After, yeah, after, after uh, Craig Kilborn leaves The Daily Show, because it was an extremely light um, sort of throwaway sort of show that was kind of competing with, um, you know, they'd have a talk show guest, he would read the news, joke, 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 it was not unlike – it was probably a half hour of Conan, but not as funny because Craig Kilborn's sort of an insufferable douche. Not funny. Right. And then um, John Stewart comes on, has a very similar show. Um, you know, A classic example of what this is is when um, Norm MacDonald went on the show to talk about the crocodile hunter um, dying. Um, oh, <clears throat> and, and But so find that clip on YouTube, y'all. Uh, v- v- very funny. But what uh, happened, fish. Yeah. But what happened was he went on, you know, he started leaning a little bit more into politics and doing his sort of mugging a little bit at the camera as stories would come. But he went on Crossfire, which was a show that yeah, was on with Tucker. Theater. Yeah. Um was it Tucker and Bill Press? Yeah, I didn't know Tucker was, was on. Tucker, it was Tucker and Bill yeah, Press. No, it was Tucker because Tucker was wearing some douchey fucking bow tie. Bow tie. And, and Bill I Press was the it. other guy, right? Or was it? Um, yeah. Okay. And he he just he body them. slammed them both and said, "This is all a fucking joke. You don't care. This is all fake and this is all bullshit." If he is that guy, as compared to sort of as compared to Col- what Colbert is now, or or Trevor Noah, or or um, you know, John Oliver's bit is really it's this. Say a line joke, say a line joke, say a line joke. Um, that has its own beats to it where it sort of reels you in here. Um, 
And so what's serious and what's not? Um, yet if John Stewart sort of, no, I'm going to tell you what's up. Okay, he, he could make that must-watch TV. He could turn that into Howard Beale on network. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. There's a nice 70s reference for you. Um, I still which, need to see network. Oh, man. It, it, dude, it is the most um, – uh, I know it, it's really good. Moving on. Moving no, no, on. no. But but I mean, it, it essentially predicted what is happening today. I mean, right. it, it, fifty years ahead of time. Um, and and it, and and essentially, what happens is in that show, you have this straight up Walter Cronkite sort of gravity newsreader who goes crazy and says, "I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it any world more." And you he has people yelling out the street, you know, saying this world is fucked up. And he has people going out of their window just saying, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. And over a period of months, he gets so much ratings, it turns into this weird sort of game show where he has people spinning the wheel of, you know, who gets, whose nuts get electrocuted or something ridiculous. But, and then, and then all of a sudden, the, t- the, the, guy, the man comes out and says, you know, Howard, I think you need to turn it off because you're really sort of pushing the envelope. And he refuses, and shit happens. Um, but it's, well, it, it is it is as, it's shocking how much of a predictor where that was way out of bounds as to, oh, this could never happen. It totally happened. It totally happened, and it continues to happen. So, Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen the crossfire bit, and that basically just kind of, catapulted him to a oh my god another level um but uh there's another netflix story i don't know if you want to say anything else about john stewart but nope uh there's another netflix story uh netflix picks up john david washington thriller born to be murdered uh alicia vikander and vicky creeps will i love uh, so, so i love the Boy summary of i love the summary of this movie yeah because no hold on hold read, on I have, read the I have sentence a line. i have a line for this Tells of a vacation couple played by Washington McCann who fall prey to a violent conspiracy with tragic consequences. And you know what I said? What the fuck does that mean? No, no, no. But do you know what I said? Uh, so are they just like redoing the tourist? <laughs> are they a just dangerous, making a really good version of the tourist? They, they fall, they become victims of the dangerous... To a violent conspiracy. To a violent with conspiracy with tragic consequences. consequences. You're kidding me, right? I mean... What? With the talent involved, uh, it it must be pretty good. Uh, produced by Luca Guadagnino, who did uh, "Call Me by Your Name," but it's he's not directed by him. Directorial debut of Ferdinando Cito Filomarino. I think they're Italian. So the tourist was Johnny uh, Depp, and uh, who was the Angelina uh, Jolie? Uh, she was the she was the lady in the yes. tourist. Oh, yes. Okay. Who is this? Uh, this? So this the guy directing. He was the second unit director on "Call Me by Your Name" and Suspiria, which was directed by Luca Guadagnino. Uh, comes after Netflix paid thirty million dollars to acquire the rights of Malcolm and Marie, which was a black and white romantic drama that stars Washington and Zendaya. Um, you know, it seems interesting. I mean, it seems interesting to me just because of the talent involved. Like uh, that premise on its own is just kind of like, eh, we'll see. I mean, almost, the dangerous the conspiracy premise on its own, with tragic consequences. Like, Violent conspiracy. Violent. But, I'm uh, sorry. Violent conspiracy. But it almost sounds like vacation for all the actors because they're going to be in Greece, so Athens and Ep- 
is it Epirus or Epirus region? Uh, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just think it sounds like a really I'm, good I'm, version. I'm, I'm the meme of the blonde-haired guy turned to the side. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, Vicky Creeps, it's like, I was like, man, I know I know that name. It's like she was in Phantom Thread. She played Daniel Day-Lewis' love interest. Which, if you, if you haven't seen Phantom Thread, it is a perfect movie to watch once and never again. Because <laughs> okay. it, it looks great. Uh, there are some great little nuances about the British kind of fashion scene in the fifties. Uh, but that movie is fucked up. <laughs> like, that how do you feel is... about it? Uh, no, like it's good. Look, I saw it with Jimmy. I remember when we saw it. We saw it in like January. He, it was Daniel Day Lewis's last film performance. He's like, "Hey, I right. know you like movies. You want to go see this?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm down for it." Paul Thomas Anderson did Boogie Nights among other things let's go see it and like uh you know i will say the woman who plays i believe who plays his sis daniel day lewis's sister in it uh i have to get the actress's name leslie manville she is phenomenal in it because everything daniel day lewis yeah, she was she was nominated she, right yeah she throws it right back at him like she is on daniel day lewis's level uh, and like in other movies, you can tell like Daniel Day Lewis is like, okay, this guy's just in a whole nother stratosphere right now compared to everybody else on screen. Like, no, she is right there with him. Um, so she's really good in it. But that movie is fucked up. And <laughs> it is about well, like, so, fucked up relationships that people like. Like uh, worse than worse than Gone Girl. Not no, 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 not like violent. It's not violent. It is like uh, no, but Gone Girl was fucked up, and it wasn't violent. Yeah, it was like manipulative and ju- like codependent. That's the word. Like, oh my god, it is. Uh, and you really don't even notice it till you don't notice it till like you notice it. Like it, it, it like comes up and hits you. So again, one time is all you need to watch it. Like that's okay. the only time you need to watch it. But uh, I, that's not even the girl. I Vicky Creeps was the girl in this movie, but I was referring to Leslie Manville. But yeah, but she was good in Phantom Thread as well. Boyd Holbrook, uh, he, I mean, he was in Logan. He was in the Predator movie that just came out. Uh, he was in some show. I think he was in like Narcos as well. But Alicia Vikander, John David Washington, Thriller, uh, Violent Conspiracy with Tragic Consequences. <laughs> well, uh I feel like we're going to be using that in the future. Just violent yeah, just, just a violent conspiracy with tragic consequences. I mean, this so, this movie writes itself. It, it definitely. Uh, but I don't know if you want. I just said sounds good. Won't move the subscriber needle for Netflix. That's basically that's all I said. Um, Agreed. Uh, so that's okay. That was all right. Bookend of that one. So yeah, no, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what you have to say with it. It's like Alicia Vikander. Than, has she done? Has she done anything since Tomb Raider? Um, you know, I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan I, of hers. Yeah, I'm a fan of hers as well. Um, she has done. Let's see. She did. She was the narrator of a documentary. Uh, she was in two short films: Earthquake Bird. <laughs> What the heck? She played Lucy Fly in Earthquake Bird. Of 50% course. 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, 48% on Metacritic. Of course. She w- she's in The Glorias, 
Uh, she plays young Gloria Steinem, ages 20 to 40. Um, so there's that. Uh, she That's like Julianne Moore's in most... She plays the like present day, I guess, Gloria Steinem. Wait, didn't we see like a preview for that? Possibly. Uh, but yeah, and then she's in... I mean, yeah, she's not really in much lately. Hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, but next, I had the last story. I had layoffs hit Sony Pictures marketing distribution operations. Roughly 35 positions have been eliminated in the consolidation, according to insiders. Uh, vet veteran executive Andre Caraco has decided to step down as co-president of global mar- marketing, ending a decades-long run at the studio, where he helped produce Men in Black, Jumanji, The Social Network, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Jumanji, mm-hmm. or, or or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as Social Network, to, as compared to Men in Black. No, Men in Black. Um, right, Men in Black, Jumanji, Social Network. I mean, it's basically they're basically referring to box office hits and the critical acclaimed stuff. Yeah, Men in Black, Jumanji, box office, Social Network, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, what do you think? Cool. So, what do you think? You think Sony's like this is the beginning of the end? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what you said that Sony, um, it's it's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-mm. That Sony Sony Pictures is just you know time to ditch the films and just go all in on consumer electronics. <laughs> so they're going to hold on as long as they can, right? Yeah. Do you think someone's going to buy them? I don't know. They they might be better off just I mean, going, not necessarily might, buy them, but no, they might be better off just going. Pictures. They might be just better off going piecemeal because the Spider Man rights are worth just a ton of money by themselves. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, what is a movie studio worth outside of the today, outside of the IP that you have? Because there's empty studios everywhere. And there's folks jumping around everywhere. I mean, Netflix just, you know, bounced a whole bunch of talent. They took on that that girl from uh, Universal who they made, just elevated her, uh, B- B- Balaji, whatever her name is. Um, mm. you know, so, th- so there's, there's, there's executives everywhere and, you know, the paradigm of entertainment, filmed entertainment, whether presented on TVs through streaming or in a movie theater, whenever the hell that comes back, um, you, you know, that's so different and we still don't know what the new normal is. And yeah, I'm, I'm, that said, Spider-Man the rights for Spider-Man is just gold, gold, gold. Yeah. And, um, you know, is Sony better off as a company just unloading that? Or, or well, did they just enter into some insane licensing agreement and they just yeah. never make movies again? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's what Eon does with James Bond, essentially. Like, Eon holds the rights to James Bond and they just license it well not even so much license yeah it basically just licenses it out to different studios for a certain fee and they go and make the movie and eon is still around but but probably the spider-man movies they that probably forces uh sony to make the movie or make some movie or else the rights are going to revert um so they yeah they have to make something physically they they actually physically have to produce it but yeah so and i wonder if I mean, I don't. Do they just like? Would they just sell Columbia? You know, because that is the, yeah, 
Yeah. That is yeah, the they, Sony. Yeah, they would. It's just that what's Columbia worth t- today? I mean, what's Columbia worth today? I, I don't know if it's worth anything. Yeah, today. no, it's probably not worth much. I, I'm, oh, you know, jumping back, um, uh, th- that Richard Pryor movie that we talked about. Yeah. M- MGM won a bidding war to get the rights to that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. this is a desperate move. To get something, I mean that you know they're they're trying to unwind James Bond, and try to get money for that. Yet they're throwing money at this other thing, hoping to make something of it. And mm. and, and not that the dude who's attached to it doesn't have ability. I, I just think that they're just wrong. And I'm like, okay, I mean MGM is just just hoping. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm you know these movie studios. I don't know if we're seeing the last gasps. Yeah. Yes, I got it. Um, but you know, this is this could be the beginning of the end. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not looking good. Um, you know, because what I mean, I'm trying to think. What are the big? Because it was the big six. Now it's the big five. It's Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers. Uh. I mean, Sony's not one of them, is it? Like, Columbia's not one of them, right? I or think Sony. I, I, I think so. I'm not in front of my computer. I think Sony is a. Uh, I think Sony is considered one of the big five. Um, um, big five. Here we go. Movie studios. Here we go. Here we go. Majors. Disney, Universal, Warner, Time Warner. Yes, Sony, Walt Disney, Warner. Uh, you know, Paramount, Universal, Paramount. And Paramount's, I mean, and Paramount know. is the is like the little kid on the block. I mean, they're yeah, so tiny, tiny, tiny. So, I mean, I, I just don't really. It's know Paramount and big. Sony. It's Paramount and Sony are the ones. I, I mean, MGM is is a Lionsgate. They're very small, but I mean, um, Paramount and Sony are like the the two smallest, two larger smallest, and you know, Paramount's owned by CBS. Which right. is really small. It does not have some mass. You know, NBC is Universal. ABC has uh, Disney. It's basically just Universal and Disney, and then like Warner's right below. But time, them. yeah, but but Time Warner has a ton. AT and T, Time Warner, yeah, all those cable channels. I mean, they, yeah, they've got a ton there. So it's like those are the big three, and then there's the other two. Um, and yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come come down to. Um, you know, the guys with the cash. And that is your, you know, the guys yeah, with the like, cash are your apples or your, I don't even think Google, Google's on market share, market share, Paramount 5%, Sony 12.1%, Warner 13.9%, Universal 11.5%, Disney 33.5%. Is that based on what film revenues from the previous year? What is uh, Mm, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I mean, here's the deal. That's if that's from 2019, that's fine. There's a new reality now, so it's really who comes out of this, um, and 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 that market share is going to look like a combination of film revenue and streaming revenue with whatever platform you have, and that's where Netflix jumps up. I mean, Apple doesn't have much streaming revenue because it's all sort of bundled here. But that's the thing. It, it, you know, it are, is one of the streaming services going to just like, you know, 
is, is just one of these companies like is Apple just going to be like is just are they just going to buy Sony just to be no, like yeah I we'll, think, just, we'll take all that I, I think Apple would be more apt to buy CBS because I think that CBS has some uh, good old people watching TV I think I think um, it's not the office but you could throw episodes of Murder She Wrote up and and yeah. And and you get people who just want to want that sort of comfort food up there, and your Magnum PIs like that shit, like that, that shit, shit you eat. <laughs> um, but also some IP to do something interesting. Imagine, hello, Mission Impossible was a TV show originally. <laughs> you yeah. know, it was Peter Graves. It was uh, um, God That's like all Paramount's got now, right? Tra- but- ever since Transformers, just. Crap the bed. It's basically just Mission Impossible. But imagine, and those are co-productions with Chinese companies. That's not all Paramount money, right? But imagine if if uh, Apple bought um, CBS and got Mission Impossible with it, and they just came out with eight episode seasons of a ten to twenty million dollar per episode budget of Mission Impossible. It's super yeah. glossy, super high tech, super whatever. You're telling me that that wouldn't be like, holy shit, what are they doing today? It, it could probably be six episodes, but as long as, or four at 90 minutes a piece, but as long as they're good, people will watch people that will shit watch. because you could make them all sort of self contained. Um, right. I mean, sure that would be up. really big. And, and much like, um, you know the way HBO when what was the movie that they did um, that sort of New York turn of the century mobby sort of stuff? Uh, what was it called? It with was the, a movie? No, no, no. HBO series with the gang kind of gangsters. Um, around yeah, it's Bro- about Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire. But they had Scorsese directed an episode. They had really um, named directors direct yeah. a lot of those episodes. You're telling me that they said, "Hey, come on in." A director and do your ninety minute, eighty minute, whatever it might be. Spin yeah, no, on I mean, this, I, I think yeah. folks would be all over that shit. And Apple's got yeah. the money to do whatever the hell they want. I think that would be some, that would be some IP. So, and, and CBS is cheap on, on the in the grand scheme of things. But I so think you wait for the bones to be bought. I guess my last question: Who who would buy Sony? I don't know. Would anyone buy Sony? I I don't know. I don't think Netflix does. Because Netflix is no, doing their no, own no. thing. Because really, what Sony got other than... Well, does Amazon buy them? I mean, Amazon is going to produce those animated Spider-Man shows, supposedly. Well, not produ- well they're going to air on Prime Video. Whoever buys them, yeah. and, and I don't know what the licensing rights are, whoever buys them has to be strapped up to throw significant money at a Spider-Man movie. Or the rights were... I mean, the rights were strapped up, but yeah, I get you. I get I, you. I, it, you know, Amazon has Amazon has the fu money. Apple certainly has the fu money. I don't think Apple goes after that because I think Apple wants a back catalog to put on <clears throat> Apple TV, and right. and they've already entered into like an agreement with CBS All Access where if you if you belong to Apple TV, you can get CBS All Access at a discount. And frankly, right. CBS needs Apple more than Apple needs CBS. So I right. wonder if that's the beginning. Um, well, oh, that was the last thing I had. Um, 
So I, let, let's talk about let's talk about two uh, movies that we saw. Um, well, hold on. Okay. Hold on. So, so we hung out for a week. Yeah. And and I, and I just want to talk about two things that we watched. Um, one of it was uh, Sour Grapes. And I want to okay. talk a little bit about that. It was on uh, Netflix. Right. And I thought it was pretty. It was a documentary about, about a guy. A, who's, go ahead. Yeah, about a wine fraudster. Yeah, a guy who just scammed tons of people who essentially it's this Malaysian dude who had lived in California that um, built tons of people out of wine. Uh, I'm sorry, out of money. And he was passing off um, wine as this super rare vintage uh, wine that, um, you know, these 1961, whatever, from the Burgundy region of France. And, you know, he was passing it off. And frankly, the guy had a really sophisticated wine palate and was just homebrewing a mix of all these different wines to come up with um, an appropriate taste and with a similar taste and, and essentially passing it off ended up doing time it just speaks to it speaks to <clears throat> one people are suckers two people want to be thought of as elite and and by becoming a member of this wine um group of you know these folks who drank multiple thousand dollar bottles of wine um they want to belong to this club of people um you know and it caused them in a lot of cases to get built out of a lot of money it's 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 an interesting thing to watch one not only to see what the scam was but to see the mental makeup of the people that were suckered and and what what caused them to be taken in? Uh, so I, I, I'd say, uh, you know, worth the watch just to see that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what right. your thoughts were on it. Okay. I and mean, then was, you, wanted- I, you yeah. heard what I said throughout the whole thing. And uh, Miss Anne disagreed with me, but it's whatever. It's, you know, What'd you a, say? I, I don't think wine tasting is a talent, like, or whatever. Um, and you mean the ability to tell between a good bottle of wine and a bad bottle of wine? Yeah, didn't you tell me like two buck chuck, one like yes. wine, whatever? Yes. That invalidates everything. Oh, it's kind of like they literally said it's kind of like an, an, an athlete, like a star athlete or whatever. Like they literally said, it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. Now, yeah, I think it's pretty funny that this dude basically just suckered all these people in uh, to pay for all this quote-unquote fraudulent wine so like i mean it i mean it's an interesting story because it it is like there's this mystery behind the guy like who is this guy who is this guy we're trying to figure out who this guy is you know these rich people hire these private investigators and they're able to figure out pretty quickly like this guy's a total fraud so yeah like that part of it is interesting um uh but the mentality the mentality of the people that were taken in, I, I think it, it is not because it is more than just they love like wine. It was more than that. It, it is the want to be part of this elite group of, yeah, they all wanted of to wine aficionados. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they all wanted to hang out with him because he had these 
quote he supposedly had these rare bottles of wine it was yeah it was never about the wine it's about status right and then you know we went we walked into a gucci or whatever it's all about status yep. you know and peacocking and doing all that so that's what it's all about yep. Yep. uh but you can i the second movie we watched i thought was really good um and that movie was called console wars yep and that was about the battle between uh, uh, Nintendo and Sega that took place in the early uh, 90s. late 80s to early 90s. Yeah. Um, and it talked about sort of the arc of Nintendo's resurgence after the video game console era essentially died um, when E.T., the video game, killed the Atari and all other competing systems in 1980, call it two. And um, Nintendo kind of showed back up around 1985, 1986 with the initial Nintendo Entertainment System and how that they just dominated the market. And then it really was less about Nintendo than it was more about the arc of this, at this point, scrappy company that found a way to, um, for a moment in time, leap past Nintendo for about, I'd call it a two-year window. Two and a half year yeah. period of time, which is uh, what Sega was. Sega Genesis. It was all about making, you know, you know, if you make a god bleed, you know, what you know, what uh, <laughs> do you know? Well, people will cease to believe in him. That's what it is, you know. And that's basically what it was. All they had to really do was fracture the market. And when they fracture the market, Sony came in. Well, and that's really what it. That's but. That's but, really. But I mean, let's yes. talk about what caused the market to fracture, though. What caused the market to fracture was their marketing. It was marketing genius on behalf of the guy to make it sort of an extreme yeah. uh, take on video games, which is what Sega was. And so this is as much a story about um, marketing and how Nintendo, though being the dominant player, was left flat footed. And, and their hubris and arrogance that didn't think anyone could take them, and all of a sudden, they got took, thanks to marketing and Sonic the Hedgehog, etc. Um, um, but also, that same, you know, it seems like it was a combination of, um, you know, internal company politics at Sega that really had left, led them down the path of um, failure, um, and that caught that led Sony in to really take over. Um, because frankly, it was a lot of that talent that was at Sega that was right there when they were, when they were, um, you know, doing some damage to Nintendo, saw the writing on the wall with Sega, got the hell out, hopped on over to Sony, and then ate the, you know, ate the lunch of the bones of Sega and, and really like, knocked Nintendo off the peak as being the dominant player, the true dominant player, market share owner. Um, And and Nintendo's essentially never recovered to being more than a, I'd call them a highly successful niche um, operator. Yeah. Um, Um, You know, uh, that's the thing. You know, that's the thing. It's that, you know, Kalinsky, who is the guy that took over Sega of America and helped evolve, basically evolve the Genesis 
you know, the Genesis sold something like 30 something million copies, which was huge. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to work on that deal with Sony to collaborate on the new console, whatever it was going to be. Well, with Silicon, gra- with Silicon graphics. Is who yeah. You to get with. Right. And that was, uh, and that was you know, punted Se- by the Sega people in Japan, Sega in Japan. And then Sony goes and they released the PlayStation and they get up there at E3 and, uh, you know, Kalinsky, they, what was it, the Sega Saturn, when it was like, yeah, it's going to be $399, and wow. Sony yep. Sony gets up there for a very brief presentation, $299, walks off. Out, mic like, drop. Yeah, it's like, I had heard, like, the thing was, I had heard about that, and I had seen that many times before, and it really wasn't until about two minutes before it happened, and when I, when I told you, I'm like, yeah, watch this, and it was like, yeah, $299, and... PlayStation goes on to sell over 100 million consoles. The PlayStation 2 is still the best-selling console ever. It sold 155 million consoles. This and that might yeah. never that might never be broken. That um, that is really important. Um, I, I think it's a very worthwhile thing to watch. I mean, yeah, it happens to be about video games, but it that that really shows the importance of strategy as it relates to marketing. I mean, and and you look at who the dominant consumer electronics players is today. And frankly, it's, you know, Apple is a marketing genius machine. I mean, they make good products and, but but frankly, but no, I mean, they make, yes, but the, the marketing, yeah, the ad. Yeah. But today, you know, what does Apple sell? And and when you say yourself, what does Apple sell? Apple sells an image as much as anything. Yeah. And, and Sega at that time sold an image, and they were able to find a way to harness. You know, they they found a marketing firm that was going to say, "Hey, the here's teenage- here's how we." Right. Here's how we present this image that yeah. you want to be. And it, and it appeals. And, you know, that, that doc really speaks to the power of marketing and strategy. But, but marketing is so important. Um, and well, it's like, look at like all these products since the, two, since the iPhone came out. And look at how all these products are presented in whatever like video that a company will release. It, everyone is aping that minimal, clean Apple mm-hmm. presentation. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, like you look at, you know, the PlayStation or the Microsoft, Xbox, those, their little marketing materials they put together. It is all about that sleek, just minimal design. Like that is like everything is trying to ape that. Um, but like, even if you look at, and I know you're going to roll your eyes probably, but even if you look at how Tesla does their thing, it is all, that's what it's about. It is about having that same design since Apple. But yeah, I, I thought it was really good. Um, you know, it's interesting because that was kind of like the beginning because now it is Xbox and PlayStation. And yes, I mean, Nintendo sells a lot of Switches, but it's also like Switches you know, cheaper, 
uh, the no, but horrible, like the mobile. But they're type they're players. but but they're a niche player, big niche. Yeah, but they're a niche player. Well, I mean, they have sold more switches than Microsoft sold Xbox ones. But are they doing home consoles? The switch is a home console. Like you can put it in the little dock and you can play it at home. Um, so I mean, the switch is probably going to end up selling like seventy million like switches. Like they're, I mean, they're. I don't know if they're niche anymore. Like they're back. <laughs> I mean, the Wii U was terrible and it was a failure, but they came out with the Switch and the Switch. I mean, the Switch came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the, the Xbox One came out in 2013, and yes, the Switch is 2.99, but they've they've basically already outsold however many Xbox Ones were there, and there was a four year head start with the Xbox Ones. There were 110 million PS4 sold, and estimated like. 50 million Xbox Ones. Um, even if you include One X, One S, all that stuff, there, you know, Switch is going to have, I think Switch is really at like 65 million. But yeah, I mean, and then there's going to be some Switch Pro with 4K uh, support. So we'll see. Well, I think there. that's, I think that's going to be the question is, how does that resonate? Right. With because now, you know, Xbox seems to have gotten their act together. PS5 has the, huge install base from ps4 they're the market leader so is there really going to be a spot for nintendo but the thing is if nintendo releases breath of the wild zelda breath of the wild 2 and they come out with another mario people buy that like people go out and buy like they will get a switch just to play those games so yeah we'll see but yeah Yeah. uh console wars very very good but that's a cbs all access movie so yeah so find it at your local um a piratey sort of site if you don't have access if you don't have the ability to get CBS all access um, so. definitely worth uh, definitely worth watching um, also quite interesting really, but a very uh, it's interesting how they do when they do the little reenactments because they always do it in like 16-bit right game graphics uh, where like <laughs> the main executive they introduce him almost like he's a Mortal Kombat character or something that's also really cool. It keeps you engaged. Uh, produced by, is this? Seth Rogen's uh, name. Seth Rogen's attached to it. There were a bunch of familiar yeah. names that flashed across the front of it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely like that better than uh, Sour Grapes. But Sour Grapes was also good. It was also good. Just. Yep. Very different. But. Uh, yeah. 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 We also rewatched a little bit of Community, which was nice. nice. Very little bit. Yes. Nice comfort food right there. Yes. Memories, memories, memories. (laughs) But um, I don't know. Did you have anything else? Uh, I I didn't. I know. I know the election's on, but so I'm not in front of my computer. What are you hearing? Uh, Right now, they have Biden at 80 electoral votes, Trump at 51. I think they have Trump with. Have they called Florida yet? No, they haven't called Florida yet. Okay. Have they called uh, Georgia or North Carolina yet? No. Okay. It basically, the only ones that are called are Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Indiana, all Arkansas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, all red. South, South Dakota, all red. The blues are, you Virginia, know, New York, Vermont. New York. Well, Virginia hasn't been called yet, but New York, Vermont, Massachusetts. Shocker. Uh, Maryland? That, Has to be Maryland. Connecticut or Rhode Island. Yeah, Maryland. DC. Uh, I guess DC. I mean, I'm looking at the small map right now, but okay. yeah. So Okay. So the big states. Okay. We're waiting. No. Uh, 
you know, we'll we'll see if there's another What does that mean? Just one of those remember the video in 2016 when Trump won when they showed all the people like you'll you'll never be president, you'll never and then when he wins Oh, and then the Hillary has 97% chance to win and it slowly ticks ticks ticks. Well, yeah, but it's that they play that. I, I don't know the name of the song, but it's the song they played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Social yeah. Network when they were right, rowing, right, right, right. the Winkle yeah. Viral rowing. But, anyways, good talk. Yep. We made a lot of headway. Yep. Uh, if you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends. So, we have listeners. I mean, the podcast has evidently gone international Vietnam, Singapore, Germany, Ireland, UK. Uh, uh, can't Rico. stop, won't stop. Yeah, never stop, never stopping. Never, never stop stopping, right? Or... Yeah. yeah, well, the movie's called Pop Star Never Stop, Never Stopping. Okay. Um, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the all around, the dot all that around on Twitter, the underscore all underscore around. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Anchor, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcasts. Um, yeah, pretty much everywhere. But at, uh, at Jim at the Bank. Yeah, or at GA Thomas thirty three um, on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, talk to you later. See ya. Peace.